Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What is up, football fans? This is Danny Austin. This is the Live from the 55 podcast. I feel like I'm beginning to say the name right every time. Getting better here. We're here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, in the Nation Network's Martelloop Studios. Very excited to be here. Busy, busy week around the CFL. Lots of news to unpack. Lots of stuff to talk about. Lots of stuff to look forward to. Um, you know, packed game of schedules. We got Elks, Tie Cats. We got Bombers, Stamps. We got Alouettes, Red Locks. We got Lions, Riders. It's going to be a fun, fun show. Um, lots to talk about. Uh, first up, we are going to have Darren Bombing. As you guys know, Bombing, he's been on the show before, Bonfire Sports. Long time covering the Bombers, one of my favorite people in the entire industry. I'm actually going to be on his show later this evening. It's a bit of a home and home. And yeah, I mean, Darren's just one of the smartest guys in the game. So can't wait to have him here. Talk a lot about, you know, what I think a lot of people are expecting is going to be a pretty lopsided uh, Bomber Stamps game. I'm not quite so sure. I think these stamps got a little fight in them, but you know, if you looked at last week's results with the Bombers storming back against the Elks and, and taking the win there, and then we're to look at the stamps getting absolutely stomped, I guess. Stamps stomped. Don't love, don't love that. But um by the Lions, yeah, I think that you know this looks like a mismatch on paper. We'll see. These teams always tend to play each other pretty closely. There's animosity, there's a rivalry there. Anyways, gonna be close. Um I don't know if it's going to be close. It's going to be fun to talk to Darren about that. Uh, and we're also going to have, I'm really excited about this. This is uh, something a little new for us. It is Legacy Night in Calgary here on Friday night. So they are going to be, the Stamps are going to be honoring their 1998 Grey Cup winning team. Uh, Jeff Garcia, Alan Pitts, everybody. That that team is so stacked and, and it's going to be a really fun night. Honestly, that 98 team, I would have been 14 at the time living in Toronto, but a team that even I remember um being excited about obviously jeff garcia would go on to an amazing nfl career but it still sort of maintained his connection to calgary here i know he's going to be in the stadium which is always fun one of the most high energy guys and yeah so we've got vince danielson who was the most outstanding canadian in that game um played a lot of years here in calgary is now living out in vancouver uh is a very interesting guy outside of football as well but we're just going to talk about you know some stories from that year from that era how you know who's he in touch with how excited is he um so yeah we we're really excited to have Vince. It's, it's an honor to have a guy who is a big part of Stamps history and, you know, 90s Stamps history, which is something very, very specific. So, yeah, excited to have Vince, excited to have Darren. It's going to be great. Um, you know, and these intros, I tend to sort of talk about the news of the week a little bit. And this week, I'm finding that a little bit more difficult than normal. Um, cannot wait to talk about the games we have on tap. I think there's some really, really fun, interesting ones coming up. But how can we not start 
with Victor Kiwi in the end of his tenure as president of the Edmonton Notes. If anyone follows me on Twitter, they know I have not commented on this. Um, it's given me a little bit of anxiety. Not going to lie. Um, this is the big story around the CFL. I try to talk about all things CFL because I love the league and I love Canadian football. And I just, I don't super feel comfortable with this one. I don't think we have very much information. And I don't know that there's a ton of value in any of us, to be honest, um, commenting on something where we have this little information. Uh, you know, obviously, it's 2023. Social media has sort of empowered all of us to share our opinions on everything all of the time. And maybe I am just being a little bit old school journalist here where, you know, I don't think I should um, give give a long opinion. But I don't know. I don't want to sound too moralistic. But I will ask the question. What do we actually know? I know that there was a lot of anger on, on sort of Monday night when it came out. I believe Farhan Lalji was the first to report it. Uh, I apologize if I'm wrong about that. But Farhan Lalji reported that, yes, Victor Kui and the Edmonton Elks would be parting ways. And, you know, Victor hasn't been in that job for very long. So that obviously came as a shock. Uh, I think Victor is a guy who built a relationship with, with fans uh, across the country. I think people loved to see his enthusiasm. He was on Twitter. You know, he was super active. Had some really fun promotional ideas. Um, also, you know, there were a lot of free tickets giving away. Um, so I think that there is a sense, rightly or wrongly, that, you know, Victor was a guy who was willing to devote himself to the league. And people are sad, and I understand that, and I'm not going to tell anybody that they're wrong. And again, I don't know anything more. Um, but like, what do we know here? You know, we know the Elks are 0-9. I don't really think that's on the president, to be perfectly honest with you. We know their attendance is way down, like way down, depressingly so, worryingly so. I, I think some of that, you know, that's on the business side. Um, we know, you know, there are a couple of people on social media who over the last sort of 24 hours have said things um, about the workplace culture. You know, words like toxic have been thrown around. I, those aren't, you know, verified. Those aren't substantiated. I have a hard time. I don't want to be here putting those on anybody. That's not, it's not right of me to do. Um, and we know that Victor was a really vocal advocate for the league and the team on social media. So, you know, I, I understand people being upset both ways. Um, but that's all we really know here. I, I, I don't think, look, it is incredibly hard as a reporter to, to get information on sort of the board of governor president level. They, they don't have to give us any information they don't want to. So I don't know what we're going to find out about this, but I do know that right now, uh, it does not feel appropriate for me to weigh in on whether Victor being Victor and the Alex parting ways, you know, whether that's right or wrong based on information that's so limited. And I, I think that all of us should probably take a little bit of a deep breath. I know we're frustrated with the situation in Edmonton. I know that even football fans in Calgary, you know, the biggest rival, they just want it to be better. We want to feel like that is a secure and safe and stable market. And, you know, I cannot answer the question whether Victor Curry was the right person to lead that. I just can't. And uh, if that's disappointing, I apologize. But um, what I do know is that, you know, the, the league, the Canadian football team, or the Canadian Football League and the you know, the sport in general. We, we need the situation in Edmonton to get fixed. We need wins on the field. We need more fans in the stands. We need that community and that that city to um, be more engaged and, and to have something worth rooting for and worth caring about. And that's sort of full stop for me. And I mean, if this move sets them on that path, then that's a positive. But again, I just don't feel like we have any more information. Um, I will also say, you know, I saw Dave Naylor tweet, and there's no one I trust more in this business than Dave Naylor. He's so locked in. He he doesn't report bad information. You know, he did tweet. He was like, this sort of makes you wonder if we're going to see private ownership 
Obviously, the Elks are community-owned. Obviously, that's something that a lot of people are proud of. I get that. Um, this is something Jerry Motorjong, my colleague with Post Media, uh, wrote a story about last last year and got a lot of blowback. And I think it's more and more becoming, you know, part of part of the conversation. And I, I don't know the economic details. I don't. I, I don't know, but I do want to, you know, shout out Jerry and. This is stuff, I think we're going to be monitoring this. I think the situation in Edmonton is not going away. It's not getting better soon. It's not going to get better with one win or two wins. Uh, they're 0-9. There's a long way to go on the field. I think that that is the first thing that has to happen. Those improvements on the field have to happen before you begin to regain the trust of fans. Um, I'm not a big fan of giving tickets away for free. I hope that they can rebuild that. I think it's going to take a while, and I'm going to be very curious. It's going to be something we're going to have to watch closely. What is the the ownership future of, of these Edmonton Elks? Um, yeah, that I've sort of been going for about eight minutes here. Uh, so we're going to get to Darren and we're going to get to Vince, but I do. We'll just looking forward, um, you know, Edmonton, Hamilton in Hamilton. This is the game that I feel like a lot of us are looking at and wondering if this might be the game where the Elks finally get their first win. Probably have the Ticats as the eighth best team in the league at this point. Um, not sure. You know, they've just, it's just been a mess. I mean, there's been some bad luck there in Hamilton for sure. But, you know, I saw Dylan wins back. So who knows? Ultimately, this feels like an opportunity. I liked a lot of what I saw, especially early, obviously, from the Elks against the Bombers last week. This is a this is a fun Thursday night game. Um, it's not ah, it's not that fun. It's like the eighth and ninth best team in the league. I fully understand if you want to skip it. If I had anything else to do. And I've got Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press in town. I know I'm going to be hanging out with him. I know Ted Wyman's coming in um, this weekend as well. So lots of the, you know, that great Winnipeg media culture is going to be here. So who knows? I imagine we're going to watch this game. I'm not going to tell you it's great, but there is intrigue. There are storylines. Uh, I don't know that on-field product is going to be amazing, but I'm a storyline guy. I'm a newspaper writer. So, you know, look forward to that. Bombers, Stampeders, as we sort of mentioned earlier. Um, what do you say about this one? This would be a huge win for the Stamps, but it this is a tough one. This Winnipeg team begin, is beginning to look like they're locked in. You're going to need much better play from the offensive line. I don't think we're talking enough about Willie Jefferson right now just because Matthew Betts has been so good, but that guy remains, if not the, the best defensive end in the league, he's he's got to be the second best. He's amazing, and that's going to be a big challenge. Stamps just, you know what, show me something. Uh, it's time. Can't Can't wait for that. One I will be covering it. My parents are here. It's the first game in McMahon Stadium. It's going to be fun. Um, looking forward to showing them around the tailgate. Well, the weather's not going to be great, but hopefully it's a decent crowd. Uh, Saturday, we got Montreal at Ottawa. This is more interesting than most of us would have thought it would be, what, a month ago? Uh, I liked the fight that Ottawa showed against Toronto last week. I think Montreal has very much established itself as, you know, the fourth best team. In the CFL right now, but I think the Ottawa Red Blacks are knocking on the door. I think that team, that team's got a spirit that I like. I, I if I was a Red Blacks fan, you know, after the last couple of years, which have sort of felt hopeless, even if they're not winning every game, you know, they're going out. I'm, I'd be proud of the way they're playing. I'd be behind it, and I don't know. I think they can knock off Montreal. They gave Toronto a good fight. You know, Toronto took control of the game in the end, but these Red Blacks are not a bad football team. Uh, I like the defense. You know. I don't know exactly what's going on with the Montreal quarterback situation, so who knows? But yeah, that's a that's a fun Eastern game. It's fun that the East doesn't stink anymore, right? Oh man, you have three good teams there. You have three. I look. I, I think three of the top five in the league are in the East. I think Toronto, Montreal. I'd probably have Ottawa five right now. And then what? Sunday, August twentieth. I believe that Sunday you got the Lions and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Regina. <sighs> Um, after what I saw, the Lions due to the Stamps, I'm, I'm definitely picking them here. But curious what happens at quarterback for the Riders. Um, oh, I, who knows? Who knows? I don't think anyone in their right mind is going to pick the Riders to win flat out here. But um, 
could be an interesting game. So anyways, guys, that's it for me. Um, we're going to get to Darren bombing here and then Vince Danielson. Uh, I will also note my dad has ordered a, a large Fraser and fig, um, large Fraser and fig, you know, charcuterie board for, for Tuesday. We're going out to my aunt's bison ranch. So, um, you know, we'll put some pictures up on social media, make sure we celebrate Fraser and fig. I'm definitely gonna be playing trivia at mugs pub, I believe next Wednesday. So shout out to both of our sponsors. Shout out to you guys for listening. Please pass it on like, and subscribe. Thank you. Here we go. Darren bombing. Guys, what are you doing tonight? I don't know what you're doing tonight. You're probably looking for something. Guys, you got to go check out Mug's Pub. This is probably my favorite pub in the city, 1330 15th Avenue Southwest, right in the Beltline. Honestly, they do it all. I, for years, played trivia on Wednesday nights at Mug's. It's the best trivia night in the city. Other nights, they got music. They got specials every single night. Some of the best food and drink specials in the entire city are at Mug's Pub. You want wine. You want beer. You want cocktails. They got it all. Big fan of their fish and chips. They got some amazing pizza. You want to watch the game? They got TV screens. You want to just have a drink with friends? Perfect spot to do it. You want to have some food? As I said, it's delicious. Mugs Pub. We love having them as a sponsor. We love having them just down the road from us here at our studios. Check out Mugs Pub. They're the best. All right. Darren Bombing, you've been on the show before, but for those who, who don't know, Bonfire Sports, Winnipeg, one of my favorite, if not my favorite. I'm not going to rank you guys, but one of my favorite people in Canadian <laughs> football. You can uh, rank me ahead of those other guys. Come on. Jamie Nye last year started doing his his media rankings, which were were largely designed to just to troll people. but And I'm troll you, right? To troll me. I started on top, ended at the bottom. Um, I was, it was like the opposite of, of, of Drake. But That's football are. media in Canada. It's a sliding scale all the time. It's power rankings are like day to day, not even week to week. I know. Now we got to take Baines off the board. It's crazy. Mm, uh, yeah. Honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. Um, Putty, how you doing? How's the, how's the summer been? Yeah, summer's been great. You know, uh, here in Winnipeg, weather's been beautiful. Football team is uh, far from boring. That's for sure. Um, and there's big question marks around the hockey club as well with, you know, a big trade, um, for, uh, you know, involving Pierre-Luc Dubois, sending him to LA big questions about Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley, both entering the final years of their contract, rebuilding, retooling coaches, GMs, lots of questions. So, uh, but, but all of that said and done the atmosphere at, uh, at IG field for football games has been awesome. Uh, and the bombers, Far from boring, as I said, because this isn't just the regular powerhouse team that we have come to know over the last number of years. Danny, it's, you know, we've seen them be susceptible this year and, and, and blow some games and even, you know, nearly blow a game in Edmonton against the Elks last week. It's It's been a wild ride. So I want to start with that game, but I will say here in Calgary, we don't know anything about uncertainty regarding roster construction for their hockey club we don't <laughs> sure. unfamiliar territory for us here in calgary um that came in edmonton okay i mostly watched it from an elks perspective to be honest and i felt like them getting out to that 22 nothing lead even though they ended up i guess blowing it and they ended up losing the game i was like wow what a step forward for the elks if you're a bombers fan i assume you're watching it and saying all right well we're pretty concerned with the way they started but also this is what the bombers do is they make adjustments in game and come storming back. Like, I, I don't know. Is it a negative? Is it a positive? Or is it a combination of both? Like how, how did you interpret that game? Yeah. I mean, fans here were having nervous breakdowns, right? Because everybody knows everybody who follows the CFL, even casually or, or, you know, day-to-day diehards 
uh, know how awful things are in Edmonton right now and how long that home losing streak has been. And for the team to go down 22 to nothing and to see the two-time reigning MOP, Zach Kolaris, go down to injury at 22 to nothing, uh, you know, people were pulling their hair out. People were thinking they were dreaming, pinching themselves. It was really funny this week hearing Blue Bombers head coach Mike O'Shea on his coach's show on radio here in Winnipeg. Fans calling and saying, you know, I was having a nervous breakdown. I, I was, you know, I didn't know what to do, Mike. Why, why did you do that to us? And Mike O'Shea, having the, the very unique personality that he does, said, hey, have a little faith, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, exactly you know, what Mike would say, yeah, exactly. Right. And while that's tongue in cheek and, and he's having fun, right. Um, at the same time, talking to him after the game or talking to players, uh, they all described the sideline the same way. And that was calm, pretty composed, workmanlike was the word Mike O'Shea used workmanlike energy on the sideline. So I think younger players come to Winnipeg and, and join this team. And Kenny Lawler even talked about this, how last year in Edmonton, they'd be down 22, nothing and be on the sidelines. And he'd be like, come on guys, let's go. Let, let's, you know, we got a chance here. Let, let's keep fighting. Uh, mm, you know, energy was kind of sullen. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not the case in Winnipeg. So Kenny comes back and sees it firsthand again. And, um, you know, that, that's just a testament to the culture. It's the testament to the leadership. And I mean, beyond the coaches, that's leadership inside the room, the guys that, that put the pads on and helmets on every week. Um, and it is a testament to that top leadership in the coaches and Mike O'Shea uh, and really everybody in the organization that um, what has happened does not matter. You're zero and zero every week. You want to get to one and oh every week. And they play quarter by quarter football. And if they're down, they don't really care. It's go out there and correct what went wrong, be better. And I think, you know, I'll, it's I'll what just good football teams do, right? Like it's, it what is. Good, it's what really, really good football teams do. Yeah. And when we saw what Drew Brown was eventually able to do, right? Throw for 300 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, see Winnipeg's defense, you know, really not allow too much. From that point, even though they knew Kolaris was was pretty much, you know, done for the day. Um, when I saw Drew Brown start to hit a couple throws and people that watch Bonfire Sports know what I have been saying about Drew Brown for over a year now. And that is I I said it a year ago. I fully expect Drew Brown to be a starter in the CFL one day because he has shown it in games and practices his composure, his metal, his, um, you know, just his attitude, his air about him, very confident, very composed for a young guy, uh, from California. And when Is I saw him succession a, plan for the bombers or can they even think that far ahead? What's that? Is he the succession plan for the bombers or can, well, there, you know, the newspaper writers in, in Winnipeg this week were, you know, asking Drew Brown and others, you know, like, Hey, that, that game earned you a lot of money. He is a free agent this coming off season. And we know the state of quarterbacking in the CFL on a broad scale. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a ton of teams out there that are probably going to throw 400,000 plus at Drew Brown. Assuming, I, he can I, keep, assuming he can put a couple, I mean, he can put it together for a couple more games. I, right. I do think that's important. Yep. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. But but even if he doesn't, if he shows a flash and some teams are desperate and they feel they've got, you know, three quarters of a roster put together to win a Grey Cup and they're a quarterback away, maybe, maybe that'll happen. But, mm-hmm. you know, when I saw him start to make a couple throws and, you know, I think it was a two and out his first series and then he led a long drive that was capped with a field goal. At that point, like, Danny, I know you're not a betting man, but, you know, people here in Winnipeg, like, I started making phone calls, and I'm like, the Bombers are way down right now, and I think they're going to win. Oh, I will be totally honest. Because I had tweeted right before the game that the funniest possible thing that could happen the entire CFL season was the Elks winning. So I saw them, and, you know, I saw everyone panicking on Twitter and and everything, and at 22 nothing, and I said this on the weekend, there was not a single part of me that thought that the Bombers were out of that game. Yeah. I like literally thought 22, 22, nothing is, is just not enough. Yeah. Um, just cause I, I, I've seen luck. They beat the lions by how much, I mean, more than 22. Um, so you give them the time and I, I fully believe they were going to do it. And, and I contrast that and people in Calgary won't love me saying this, but I contrast that with the St. Peters where they were down 17, nothing at the end of the first quarter against the lions. And I knew that game was done. But the Lions are a good football team. They're a sound football team with good quarterbacking and very talented defense and good coaching. Edmonton, on the other hand, is not. So despite it being 22-0 or 22-3, whatever, at that point, when I knew the quarterbacking was at a good level without Zach Kolaris in Edmonton, um, I, I had full confidence Winnipeg was going to be able to win because of just the dysfunction we've seen from Edmonton all season. I, I knew they weren't going to be able to hang on and hang in against Winnipeg um, almost no matter what. It would have required some magic from Trey Ford. I, I saw enough from yep. Trey Ford in that game that I thought, okay, this is this is the guy you have to ride with. And there may be 100%. some ups and downs. And I this is a point that I try to make on my podcast with young quarterbacks, you have to ride the ups and downs. It's not going to be smooth sailing the whole time. And I, I think we forget that. And I think, look, I, I loved what I saw. I didn't love, I liked what I saw from Trey Ford and thought that was a step forward to the point where I'm like, if the Stampeders don't improve, suddenly Labor Day is a little bit more interesting than I thought it might be. Well, and if I can croquet shot that into another point, it is the health of Zach Kolaris and did not That's practice. The next question I was going to ask. I want, yeah. I don't want anyone thinking I wasn't going to ask that question. <laughs> well, of course, <laughs> right? Of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, widely regarded as the, the top player in the league today, um, did not practice on Monday or Tuesday. Today's practice Wednesday was closed. So he was said to not practice either. Uh, so that leaves us wondering, should he play? Will he play? Uh, no determination from the football club as is standard procedure here in Winnipeg. Uh, he may even be on the depth chart, um, when it comes out. Yep. on Thursday ahead of Friday's game in, in Calgary. Right. Uh, and a game time decision and that sort of thing. I personally, like my, my take. Okay. If I can put my GM or my head coach hat on as I sometimes do, uh, what would I do right now? Well, you got the Stampeders for Winnipeg. They are then home to Montreal. And then they have the Labor Day classic and the banjo bowl home and home series with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I would not rush Zach Kolaris back in any way, shape, or form. You're seven and two. You don't have to if you're the bomb. You do not have to. There, it is a two horse race in yeah. the West Division, and Being the Stampeders like it doesn't get you the season series. Like the Stamps are not going to catch the Bombers in the standings. Yep. Uh, you, yeah. You. There is no real reason unless Zach. I mean, if he has a clean bill of health, sure. Like if, 
put him in. But, but I, it's I, a I'm... neck injury. That is officially what it's listed on the injury report. Now, that can mean concussion. Not saying it does. But neck injuries, whiplash, that is a concussion, medically speaking. Um, but, you know, it could be a strain. It could be a bruise. It could be a contusion. We don't know. But it is a neck injury. And when it comes to that part of the body, I think you want to be incredibly careful. And if you can, be preventative. Be cautious. And Winnipeg has that luxury right now. And, you know, maybe things would be different if they were, you know, not left with an option that we know can help them win football games. Drew Brown won as a starter late last season in BC. He took over from Zach Kolaris early last season in a game and led a touchdown drive in a victory. And then, you know, he mounted uh, the second biggest comeback in Winnipeg Blue Bombers franchise history down 22, nothing last week in Edmonton. He can win. The rest of the team is pretty dang healthy and they're kind of clicking on all cylinders right now. Um, you know, if I want to nitpick, maybe I'll, I'll talk about the defense, but things are really, really good right now for Winnipeg to ride with Drew Brown as their number one quarterback. You know, take your well, time with Zach. That's, I think, is the, the best idea. And I mean, I don't want this to be a beat up on the Stampeders thing, but the reality is the Stampeders, if you are the Bombers, are, are looking at them as being someone you can beat. Um, of course. So, like, there's there's that. They may very well be able to walk in with Drew Brown um, and pull out the win. I want to. I want to ask you about the. I don't just want to ask you to say nice things about the bombers, you know. But like, <laughs> um, my whole thing is because, and this is like, this is no knock on anybody, but I honestly like looked at, had to open the PDF and go look at the CFL league leaders because the stats aren't fully available online. Um, we're not talking. Nobody's talking about about Willie Jefferson enough. I think that it's a little bit of a like Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid thing where we're all bored of the Bombers outside of Winnipeg. So none of us want to. And like Willie Jefferson's been, you know, the league's elite defensive end for so long right. that who cares? Um, you know, Matthew Betts has has 10 sacks, which is amazing. Got off to a very fast start. But like Willie Jefferson's and Willie Jefferson has eight. It's not like like this guy, and last year, if I'm not mistaken, like he didn't have the most sacks last year. He, he did everything else. I'm not saying last year was a down year, but I mean, Willie Jefferson is putting himself in, I mean, certainly most outstanding defensive player conversation. And I mean, if we don't see, I don't know that there's a quarterback right now who's running away with MOP. I'd, I'd be willing to consider him if he finishes. I don't know. I just, I think, well, I don't know what exactly I'm trying to say other than like, Willie Jefferson, pretty good, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, Look, if, for people that watch Bonfire Sports, uh, they know that I take an objective, truly objective approach to covering this league. And my opinions are based in objectivity because I feel it would be a disservice. I am a reporter by trade. It would be a disservice to fans if, if I put rose-colored or maybe blue-colored glasses on, um, you know, in, in talking about these things. I am of the firm belief that Willie Jefferson is the single best player, quarterback or not, in the Canadian Football League today. Why? Because he has as much of an impact in an opposition's game planning than that, that a quarterback does. Uh, Willie Jefferson is right on Matthew Betts's tail with eight sacks, just two behind him, but he also leads the league in pass knockdowns, right? And that 
is a whole group of defensive backs involved in that as well. And then there's just this one guy, oh yeah, six foot seven Willie Jefferson playing defensive end. Um, is he more impactful when Jackson Jeffcoat is the other bookend on the Blue Bombers defensive line? Absolutely, because they can't purely focus on him. But coaches I've spoken to, players I've spoken to, you need to know where number five is on the field at all times because his athletic makeup, his talent, and his ability to make game-breaking plays is always there. And uh, I really, really believe that a quarterback-centric perspective on best player in the league isn't entirely fair. I understand they are the most important player on the field. It's the most important position in football. No question. Every play starts with the ball in the quarterback's hands. But Willie Jefferson has shown year in and year out and every single game that he is a force to be reckoned with. And I'm glad you asked me about him, Danny. But I said it three, four weeks ago. I say, you can say it's Zach Kolaris. You can say Chad Kelly. You can, you know, name off a, a whole bunch of really, really good players. Kadeem Carey, right? Um, there's lots of great players in this league. There's a lot of great players in this league. I personally believe that quarterbacks included Willie Jefferson today, the best player in the CFL. I don't mind you saying it. I, I don't have a counter argument. Um, I think that the MOP discussion as it comes to defensive players is always difficult because there's an award for defensive players. So, you know, who am I looking at MOP right now? It is pretty much quarterbacks. Like there's, to be honest, it is either Chad Kelly or Zach Laros, but to be perfectly honest with you, after what I saw Vernon Adams do to the stamps last, last week. And I really only think he's had one bad game. If he stays healthy and keeps doing it, Vernon Adams is going to be right in that conversation for me. Well, Vernon Adams had one really bad game. Right. Yeah. Six picks is a glaring one, but Hey, everybody has a bad day at the office. Zach Kolaris has them. Chad Kelly has them. Willie Jefferson has them. And Farhan yeah. made this like made this argument where he was like, there is this narrative about Vernon Adams based on one bad game here and there that like actually does not, it, it betrays his consistency. And I, mm -hmm. I actually do think yeah. by and large, like by and large, I, I think that, particularly this year where we're seeing he's not stepping in for Nathan Rourke and, and trying to lead a team that doesn't really have a system that's fully designed for him. Like we're seeing what Rick Campbell, who, I mean, what a coach that guy is. I think that, you know, um, he's, he's not getting the credit he deserves for that team, but I really do think Vernon has to be in the conversation, but I also think like we are more than most seasons like by this time last year, I guess we had a Nathan Rourke versus Zach Caleros argument, but like, I think Nathan was pretty close to getting hurt around this time. And it became pretty clear that Zach was going to be the MOP. Right. Um, right. This year, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm, I have anywhere close to an answer. Um, I like, I'm pretty sure I have a rookie answer. I, I'm pretty sure it's Austin Mack, but I'm not even entirely sure if he's a rookie. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I don't actually know. Um, anyways, that was just my little side tangent. Uh, well, <laughs> just to, to put a cap on it, you know, like when, when Solomon Elamimian won CFL MOP, handful of years ago that was my first year i think voting for the awards and i was elated when he won mm -hmm. but i am sure i am certain that he would not have won had his tackle number been a record-breaking amount like what was it 140 something it was crazy if yeah. that number wasn't just astronomical 
I don't know if he would have gotten the the same level of support for the league's most outstanding player. So for someone like Willie Jefferson or, you know, other linebackers, defensive ends that have these type of impacts on games, I wonder if those numbers not being there would, uh, you know, would, would still indicate um, widespread acceptance that a defensive player can, can be an MOP league wide. Well, and that extends to, uh, to actually other awards. I mean, I remember Trey Roberson had an incredible start. I believe it was the 2019 season. And I called up Davis Sanchez and I said like, Hey man, like what would actually have to happen for a DB to win most outstanding defensive player? And he was like, they would have to shatter the interception record. He was like, why? He was like, because D line and linebackers are just, they, they put their bodies on the line. They're involved in every play, every they're snap. They're at the front of attack, right? Exactly. A DB has to have the ball thrown in their direction, right? Exactly. But and Joe Bar Johnson did it here in Winnipeg. And I think, you know, uh, chipping in on special teams probably helped him quite a bit. But as a, D, as a cover corner with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, that first iteration of the Swaggerville defense that, you know, went to the, the Grey Cup in 2011, um, Joe Von Johnson was the most outstanding defensive player in the CFL. Is he um, the only DB to win it? I think he might be. I think so. Yeah. I, I'm not entirely sure. And I can't even remember his numbers offhand. That was my first year covering the team was 2011. I think it was 2011 he won it, maybe 2010. Either way, him, Jonathan Hefney, Clint Kent. Um, uh, th- there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of really good defensive backs in that backfield. So I don't think quarterbacks were able to sway away from him or, or throw away from him, um, you know, th- that often. But Here's the thing, Danny, and I know we've kind of gone on on this, but DBs in football, like you got Jalen Ramsey and you got some of these, you know, Deion Sanders, all these big flashy names in the NFL. They do a very good job at, at drawing attention to those guys. Darrell Revis, Revis Island, all of that marketing push that, that they get. In the CFL, some of the best defensive players in the league, some of the best DBs, the best honest. DBs, Nobody talks about them because the ball isn't thrown in their direction. So yeah. when you have Dietrich Nichols or Richard Leonard a few years ago, or um, there was a handful of guys, uh, people just don't talk about them because their numbers are on the stat sheet. But like Dietrich Nichols here in Winnipeg has been a top 10 player in the league. I'm firmly with that, you know, and, and I mean, no, no talk. No, no, no real shine on those guys. But it was a goal of it. mine when I everybody took over it. covering the team and sort of got a better sort of understanding of the league football was to highlight it. My job's with the Stampeders, obviously, but was to try to highlight the DBs a little bit more. Yep. Um, not necessarily the Stampeders this year so far, but. Yep. Um, but Trey but Robertson yeah, a couple of years ago, like you were saying. Oh, I mean, and look, Jonathan Moxie has been great. Like there's, there's been lots of, trust me, there's been lots of great Stampeders DBs over where, we're not that far removed from them being the dominant yeah. team in the league, but um, yeah, no, it's a hundred percent. I mean, look, we love receivers who put up big numbers, occasionally running backs and then quarterbacks in this league. That's the reality. Um, and that's all of us need to do. Those of us who are left covering the league probably need to do a better job with that. Um, let me ask you like one or two more before I let you go. I'm going on your show later. So you can ask me some questions. Yeah. Um, um, Obviously, some, and I'm not going to ask you the order of the top three in the league, but if we were doing power rankings, you would have, we would all have Toronto, Winnipeg, BC as our top three in some order. I'm not asking that. Is four or five for you Montreal, Ottawa? Montreal, certainly. 
Yeah, certainly. I would even put Montreal right now, just from what I've seen from them, I'd put them in that. I'd put them right at the precipice of that top tier. Like they're almost on a tier on their own. Ottawa and everybody else, that mushy middle, right? Ottawa beat Winnipeg and Calgary. Like, they... well, okay, they beat Calgary, fine, but yeah. they're doing. You know, I- I'm not too crazy about Ottawa's defense. I'm really not. The Which only reason earlier in Toronto the year, had thought... such a, a weird game was because Ottawa's defense just kept allowing Devers Daniels and many others catch balls and and run for first downs. It, it, I don't. I do not like Ottawa's defense. They're able to straighten that out. Montreal, meanwhile, yeah. Can, can I say one thing about Ottawa? Is awesome. Can I say one thing about Ottawa's defense before we go to Montreal? I actually like everything about their defense except their ability to defend the big play. I think they're actually like quite good at a lot of things, but the Stamps did it. You just go over the top against them and guys get open. Um, it's like I've never seen a defense like it. Like they're actually quite good at stopping the run. I I, I like a lot of things. And like this is a pro Devaris Daniels podcast i weirdly feel like my career is connected to him because my first game covering the team was his first game playing for the stamps in his rookie season um but yeah i that defense has things to fix there's no question and if dave dickinson is to believe there just aren't that many dbs out there anymore um between nfl camps going like going longer bigger bigger practice rosters and then the two spring leagues like it's very hard to find reinforcements right now so i don't know that they can super improve um stamps brought in Shaq richardson today but yeah montreal they're dude montreal's legit that that's in my opinion that's just what it comes down to i, I like your idea of them being in that sort of tier on their own but yeah. I, realistically I, I think that until sask and sask i don't know what their quarterback situation that they're going to be able to Get a con, which I feel bad because I actually like a lot of parts of that team. And then, like the Stamps, who I still see all the pieces, it just is not coming together. I have Ottawa above them. Yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to like Cal- Calgary's in this stretch of playing four straight games against either Winnipeg, Toronto, or BC, right? And Danny, who is it they're playing twice? Toronto. Yeah. So you're playing the best team in a cross division um, twice plus the two best teams in the West. Uh, in a month span. I'm curious to see how Calgary comes out on Friday night and if they're able to, you know, uh, exert a little bit of home field authority. uh, That would be something. I think Winnipeg's defense has not been playing their best as of late. So if Jake Mayer can get something going, if that offensive line in Calgary can get something going, uh, you know, with the run game and the rest, I think that would help a heck of a lot in, uh, you know, trying to slow or even potentially beat the Blue Bombers. They are a beatable football team. the Stampeders need to be ahead. They're, they're not they're, winning if they don't get ahead. They're not winning if they don't get ahead. In this well, game. of course. Yeah, I mean, that was the the recipe that every team has taken on Winnipeg this year. That is, get ahead early and then hang on for dear life because it's tough. You know, like we talked about right off the top, it's tough playing against Winnipeg because they're never going to quit. They're going to play every snap as if it's a 0-0 game or even at their, you know, they're leading. Um mm-hmm. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. But Montreal, to me, um, defensively, they've been outstanding. They've been, you know, Noel Thorpe, say whatever you want about the guy. He has just been a top-tier defensive mind for a long time in this league. And that has not fallen off in any way, shape or form. They have good Canadian talent on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and frankly, they're deep at all positions as well. Um, you know, cutting Nick Usher uh, a couple weeks ago and now signing with the BC Lions, I believe their practice roster just the other day, but they, they've got some pieces and, and they're playing incredibly well on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, you know, William Stanback isn't the same running back. He was a couple years ago, but Walter Fletcher or Jeshren Antwi, it doesn't seem to matter. Uh, they run a very efficient run game scheme and it works. So it's nice when you got plug and play opportunity there in your run game and you don't rely on one stud tailback like many teams do. Um, however, you have the quarterback head coach combination. Once again, the remarriage, if you will, of Jason Moss and Cody Fajardo. And whatever happened in Saskatchewan, you can blame the offensive line. You can blame, uh, you know, injuries, what have you. But whatever happened there, both of these individuals learned from it. And I think Jason Moss, maybe in particular, just understands what is going to work with Cody Fajardo as his quarterback. And they're much better pairing this time around than they were in Saskatchewan, where it just seemed to kind of something was off, you know, in, in the planning, the, the, the play calling, whatever it might be, the scheming, it just wasn't a good fit. Uh, Jason Moss has a good fit for what Cody Fajardo can do well. Um, Fajardo, like many quarterbacks in the league today, can make mistakes. And I wouldn't say he is prone to make mistakes, but he makes them. Uh, maybe more often than a true elite quarterback, but he is capable of moving the chains and capable of putting the ball in the hands of playmakers. And Montreal, it seems like every week they got a new guy on offense that like, who's that? I've never heard of that guy before. Oh my yep. gosh. He's got 120 yards, you know? So um, everything's working for Montreal right now. They've got a good special teams unit and uh, I haven't looked at their schedule specifically, but moving forward, they're a team that is definitely, I feel, definitely going to push the Toronto Argonauts for first place. You know what people forget about Cody Fajardo? He took them to two West Finals. And in what? It would have been 2019. I believe that's the one that I drove to Regina to watch. They were within a play 
of beating the Bombers. Like they were down on 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 the goal line. I'm not saying other stuff could have happened, but like that was a close game. And 2021, um, they were up on the Bombers in the first half. That game was at IG Field, and it was a cold day. There was a ton of takeaways from Jason Shiver's Rough Riders defense, and that was a game that was very close as well. You know, Saskatchewan had some good teams. That's why I think you know Dickinson and, and O'Day are in the final year of their contract right now. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, it's been great. Um, I, you know, I'm going to be seeing. I'm, I'm excited. I got both Ted and Jeff in town, as well as my parents. So it's not going to be like your typical. Um, you know, bro out, but uh, it's going to be exciting. I, we haven't had many traveling reporters in town um, all season, so it's going to be really fun to see them. I wish you were here, but um, either way, man, it's been great. I can't wait to talk to you in like two hours. Yeah. Um, so, man, thanks so much for having me. Or no, not thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for coming on my show. I'm talking so as if I'm we, we can here. exchange that. We'll reverse that later. Yes. Okay. Uh, we're not going to edit this out. So, um, but honestly, man, you're the best. Thank you so much for making the time. No, I appreciate it. I got to show my t-shirt off. Winnipeg, Alberta. For people that don't know, the uh, NFL exhibition game here in Winnipeg a few years ago, AJ Cole, the Raiders punter, got off the plane with this shirt. Winnipeg, Alberta. And, and it just it just became kind of viral and I found a way to track a t-shirt down. So this is my favorite when, when Winnipeg's got two business trips back to back in Edmonton and in Calgary, I wear my Winnipeg, Alberta shirt. I love it so much. Is there any explanation for it? I I think it was honestly just like an overseas mistake. And you know, I don't even, I don't even know what the skyline is. Is that, that (laughs) is the Winnipeg skyline. That is the Winnipeg skyline. It's so funny. Like those are legit uh just landmarks <laughs> so funny um thank you for some of that i should have asked you about that shirt um darren bonfire sports guys check him out you're i mean if you want to plug your twitter or anything please do yeah i mean you can find everything bonfiresports.ca but youtube podcast facebook uh, it's all there bonfiresports.ca well you'll find everything Thanks, appreciate buddy. that cheers guys let's say you're having a party let's say you're having a picnic let's say you're having any occasion we gotta talk to you about fraser and fig so I love these guys here in Martin Loop, a couple storefronts down from our studio here. Fraser and Fig, man, these guys do these delicious elevated cheese and charcuterie boxes. You know, they're made with all these fresh artisanal ingredients, on-demand grazing, pickup, delivery. You got it. Just let them know what you want. They will get it to you. Honestly, I'm such a big fan. I had a picnic a little while ago. I brought one of their curated boxes and it was a huge hit. I looked great. People loved it. We're hungry. They weren't hungry anymore. These ready-to-go boxes, they got them in four sizes. All their boxes come with meat, cheese, dried fruit, fresh fruit, nuts, olives, pickles, and carrots. Their selections vary from month to month. Choices are always new. You know, Just because they've had one doesn't mean you've had them all. I love Fraser and Fig. I love having them as a sponsor. They're the best. Make sure you check them out. Tell them by from the 55 sent you. All right. I'm super excited to have Vince Danielson, uh, star receiver for many, many years for, for the Calgary St. Peter's two-time Grey Cup champion. Um, all the way think we're mostly going to talk about 1998 but uh thank you so much for thank you so much for being here hey great to uh great to be on the show and um and awesome to uh be part of the uh 25th anniversary uh events that are uh, coming this week in calgary so i know you're on vacation with the family are you cutting the vacation short to come to calgary for this or is it yeah I, yeah i am actually and uh you know just when we had planned it we didn't know about the events and and they came on, uh, but yeah, I wouldn't miss it. Uh, cutting it short, but I'm bringing my uh, son 
He's uh, 14 years old, uh, so uh, him and I are going to fly out from Vancouver Island uh, into Calgary and uh, kind of enjoy it together, which which I think is pretty special. Yeah, that is special. Is that one of those things? I mean, I know I'm sure he is aware of you, your life as a professional athlete, but you often hear people talk about their kids and, you know, their kids might have missed them as an athlete. So is this kind of a cool chance for him to actually kind of realize what you accomplished? Yeah, you know, I remember, um, you know, at practicing games, I'd see a lot of the guys that had young kids and I didn't at the time. Uh, until post my uh, career. So, you know, I always look back and go, oh, it'd be so good if, you know, the kids were in the locker room and could see it. And, uh, but with um, with uh, Cole and then my daughter, Maya, um, I was able to get them in because I had a, a, a charity program called Every Yard Counts, which is a cancer program for um, for kids with cancer. So they were always part of hosting and I was able to bring them into the locker room and we would bring the kids down. So they've been part of it. Uh, but this will be really unique, I think, because, um, uh, you know, Cole will be able to meet uh, some of the players I played with that I've talked about. And he's now playing football in Vancouver uh, and oh, nice. uh, in tackle football. So I, I think it'll be a really cool experience. Um, I got to ask, I mean, how when was the last time this many of you guys from from that sort of era or that team would have gotten together? I can't imagine it happened super often. No, I, I would say none at all. Uh, you know, really, besides me seeing Jeff Garcia here and there and, you know, uh, seeing some of the other guys at maybe some events in town, alumni events, nothing that's really brought a bigger group together. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm thankful the stamps are, um, you know, th- looking back at the history and doing these things. I think it's it's really important for the fans. But, you know, we we get the benefit of of seeing each other and you know, when you win a championship, it's a it's a really special group. It, you know, people think, oh, it's just a championship. But, you know, those characters on that team and the people you're with, uh, the bond is is just deeper than any other team you play on. So I think it's going to be uh, really great to be able to see some of the people. I haven't seen in 25 years, some of them. That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> it is. I'm, in 1998, so, I mean, I've got a, a bunch of questions, but I asked Dave Dickinson. Um, about bringing the group back together. And what he said is that pe- what people will forget is the amount of pressure that was on that team going into the season. Um, what do you remember about that? Because there's there's a sense, looking back at sort of the 90s Stamps team, that there could have been a few more championships there. When you guys were going in, was it as championship or bust as, as some might think it was? Yeah, the, the pressure was um, huge. I mean, if you th- I, I came to the team in 1994, my rookie year. Jeff Garcia and I came the same year, and Jay McNeil and hmm. a bunch of the guys that were on the 1918. You know, nice in 1990, it's, it's a nice great group. In ni- it is, it is. In 1993, they had lost the West Final, and that was a, a brutal loss. In 94, we went back and we were 50 and 3. We lose the West Final to an 8 and 10 BC Lion team, right? 95 were 50 and three again you know you go back to the to the great cup um in saskatchewan and we lose to baltimore and then 96 we go we have the west final at home and we lose it by 97 some of the people had moved on and and we had actually lost in the western semifinal. so and if you really think about that period of time you know from 91 92 that they were in the cup won it in 92 there was a lot of a great opportunities in there to put together two to three great cup wins in a row. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we missed all those opportunities. So by the time we got into 1998, I mean, this was a team I, I thought it was at a pretty big inflection point, you know, either we were going to do something here 
uh, or this is just going to break up. And and then when we get in that game, you know, we'll talk more about what happened and then what happened at the latter part of that game. But the pressure was really high. I remember um, it, you know, people say, oh, it must have been a lot of fun. It's not fun losing in the playoffs every year at that level with that such a good a team because every year is a missed opportunity. And in sports where you only get so many, you really feel that, that shit, this might not ever come back, you know, to us. So uh, Dave is right. It, we were definitely coming in and, and had to do something. It's something I started covering the Stampeders in 2016. So they they lost the Grey Cup in 16. They lost in 17. And, you know, they would never say it to us media people, but I've spoken to guys on the eight, on the 2018 team, which did win the Grey Cup. And they just said, like, they were pretty much done if they'd lost that, that Grey Cup game. It was just there was so much pressure. There was so much regret. And they just they were like, we would have had to have gone and just played somewhere else at, at the very least because our group was so like there was trauma basically associated with it. And I think that that makes it more impressive being able to come back and actually get over the line. Right. Yeah. A good, a good word is tr like trauma. Like anytime that you love something so deeply, you know, that doesn't go right. And you're so deeply involved there, there you know, there's a scar in your psyche um, hmm. as a player and that scar can be used as a good healing for goodness uh, <laughs> or it can actually take teams down and it can become a chronic mental issue uh that happens within teams and sometimes you got to break those teams up uh to be able to like refresh it because you just can't get over um you know that that hump and and i always say to people it's, it's sometimes better not even being there <laughs> it's easier being a crappy team because there's no ex or a mediocre team because there's no real expectation and people know that you don't have the pieces but when you're a good team you know you you have to produce and and i think that's what all the guys going to 1998. I mean, I think we realized that like this team wasn't going to be around a long time together. And the time, the time was now. Yeah. It wasn't easy though. I mean, you mentioned it. Like, can you describe the closing minutes of that great cup game for me? Yeah, for sure. You know, you know, I would say one of the biggest plays that it, that went against our psyche is when Archie Emerson caught the football out of the flat or across the middle and, Alondra Johnson and Daryl Hall went in to, to hit him. And these guys were tough guys and he sidestepped and they both collided and basically knocked each other out. I mean, if you watch them, the bodies hit and, and they, they just landed on the turf. And I remember, and then he went right down the sidelines to like the two yard line. And that was going to put them up um, ahead of us that touchdown. So I, I can remember looking at those two guys in the field going, Holy crap. These are the, these are our guys. Yeah, then and they're, they're both of the on their backs. Yeah. And they, I mean, both those guys, I don't know how they did it. They got up and uh, probably pretty happy they never had to go back in again that game. <laughs> but, you know, I can remember being like, there's that whole thing of like, you know, oh no, it's not going to happen again, is it? Yeah. You know, and, and when that momentum shifts, so then they score and we get the ball back and whether we had a minute or 48 seconds, I don't know what we had, but you know, I remember walking on the field and if people tell you that you don't think of the past, you know, you get it out of your head fast when you get out of that huddle. But when you're walking out there, you're realizing that, like, you know, this is this is it. And we have to turn it. And Jeff came in the huddle at that time. And I remember him saying, let's just get this done. And that drive, um, I will say, was a drive that felt so fluid. And it was almost like everyone just did their job. There was no really big plays on that drive. There were just. Jeff went for a run, hit Kelvin out of the backfield, hit a little hitch with Alan Pitts across the middle, 
everyone's just doing their job. And it, it was kind of like this march, march, march. And then suddenly I, we're walking off the field. And um, I can remember uh, Alan Pitts beside me walking in Wally Bono's Wally saying, good job, you know. And uh, Alan says, it's our time. And then we went to the back and I, I remember, I think Jeff and I were, I, I could, Jeff couldn't even look. I think he was looking the other way. And uh, I don't even think <laughs> I looked when, when Mark kicked it through and then mayhem happened. But, you know, and those, that's, that's what happens. These, this, you got to get over that momentum. You got to get rid of your psyche. Then you go in and you're like, look, like, let's just do our jobs together. There's a calmness. Um, and, and then you just move and it's, it's kind of a, it's a beautiful experience. Uh, to be part of. And then Mark hits that uh, field goal and, uh, you know, it was mayhem and, and exciting, right? It's sort of amazing though, you describing that fluidity and all the work has to, there has to be so much work that goes into it being that fluid and, you know, having that confidence to kind of just march up field. And then you describe, you know, one of the great players in CFL history, Jeff Garcia, not being able to watch, you know, the field goal. It's a, it's a, it really yeah. emphasizes yeah. the pressure that, and like the, just the anxiety of that moment a little bit. It, 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 you know, once you do your job, you're right. It's left up to, you know, Mark and and the team that's snapping the ball and Dave Dickinson was holding it. And, you know, it's left up to them. And, uh, you know, there's a there is a feeling that you're in the position. But, it, you know, being in that position, you still have to kind of make it make it roll. And, uh, you know, it was great for uh, Mark. You know, he had lost his father, you know, a couple of weeks earlier and he was at his hometown in Winnipeg. And, you know, there sometimes, you know, life doesn't always go proper, as we all yeah. know. I was telling yeah. my daughter this morning, like more times than not, it can be it can, it, you know, tougher things happen. And then those things happen and you that are these silver linings that have a great story behind it. And it happened. And then you never forget that. And it helps you build in other parts of your life as you uh, look for positivity. Right. Is that one of those things that you look back on and think like football did a great job teaching you that lesson? Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, I, at the start of the football meant a lot in my life. It was, you know, I had cancer at 15 years old and I was on my, you know, on my deathbed, you know, and, you know, football, getting back on the field in grade 11 football was one of my biggest purposes of surviving. It's, it's crazy. People think, oh no, it's got to be about surviving. And I always say, no, you have to survive for something that is special that you've set out in front of you that you're dreaming about. And that can be your family. That can be your kids. That can be a lot, a lot of things, but you have to have it. And it's that extra strength you get And football, you know, that drive gave me that. And then all the things that happen of the ups and downs and injuries, those are all lessons that I brought into, you know, my business world. And I bring into my family, like we have family, you know, huddles every week as a, you know, as a family. And, and we, yeah, and they're rituals. There's rituals that you have in sport. So yeah, yeah, you bring those, those beautiful things over and you connect the dots into real life. And, um, and that's, that's, I think a really, that, that's what sports is all about. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I also will, I mean, quickly that you, you have a, a, a legacy that I want to, you know, make sure I highlight, but I do think, I mean, you mentioned having cancer as a 15 year old. And I do just want to say that, I mean, the every yard counts uh, program, which I know, you know, you are, you've, you know, done just about everything with is, is is such an amazing part of your legacy here in calgary and it's something that all of us really admire i don't know if you'd want to just sort of oh yeah it. yeah it's you know the program was built out of uh you know when i had cancer there was a, a high school teacher that knew that knew louis pisagula in vancouver and he brought him to my house and they had just won the 98 1985 uh great cup 
and this was 86 and he brought his ring and we have a picture together and he came to my living room and here I am, you know, thinking about wanting to get back on the field. And this guy took time out of his day to do that. And, and so that experience I had with Louie is the reason I started the program. Cause I thought, well, if it could impact me, why don't we just get kids to the games? And then we, I could tour them in the locker room and the players could meet them. And so back in uh, about 1997, we started, you know, every yard counts and, it was, you know, it's funny, it, you, you never know as an athlete where that moment will be, you know, whether you're signing an autograph or going to a house. And, you know, what Louis did created this legacy that then went into me. And in one of the, my, the second preseason game, my rookie year, we played the Lions and he was still playing, of course, right? So I was able to walk across the field and be like, hey, Louis, do you remember me? And he's like, oh, I totally remember you because I never visited houses. And he was also from really? Vancouver too. Yeah. yeah, he's like, I, yeah, he's like, I never visited anyone's house, like hardly ever. And he's like, but you were East Van kid. I remember coming over. He goes, I remember following you at UBC. And then, and then years later, um, you know, uh, Louis got cancer and maybe a chance to reach out. And I think, you know, life goes full circle. But, you know, those moments we have make a big difference. And, you know, sometimes we just have to remember to uh, take a breath and, you know, you never know how you're going to impact someone uh, within your day or your year. Well, it's a program that's impacted, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of, of, of kids over the years. So I, I think it's amazing. Um, and, and, and players, I, I always talk to the players because they go into the, you know, to go into a kid's room that has cancer is harder than catching a football across the middle. And here's why is because when you walk in that room, sometimes there's no smiles. There's no clapping. They just sit there and stare. And then you as a, like, there's a lot of players that are like, you, you, you almost lose it because you're, you're trying to figure out what to do. And uh, a lot of the players are like, wow, that's impactful. It's impacted so many players and that have come in as young people to not just understanding charity, but understanding the impact that they make through these children and the visits that they've had. So hats off to the stamps that, you know, continue uh, to the program year after year. It's incredible. There's no good way for me to segue from something like so important, just sort of back to football, yeah. which is important. In a yeah, different way, but, great. Um, I hope I have a couple more minutes of your time here. Um, Lots of time, yeah. Alan Pitts is, in my opinion, the greatest uh, receiver in Canadian football history. That is, I, you know, I'm, there's all sorts of debate about who that might be, but, but if he's not, he's right up there at the top. Um, what was what was he like just to get to watch every game every day? I mean, he's I, I just always try. I know Alan sort of has separated himself a little bit from the from the community, and we don't see him as much. But I, I do think he's just worth highlighting because he was such an amazing athlete and and just player. Yeah, so so not even on the field in a game, it it started on the practice field. Um, his work ethic, it's the biggest thing I remember. Like, I mean, when I came in, there was a lot of Dave Sapungis and there's Alan Pitts and and lots of great uh, receivers. And they had already done a lot, right? And so, but to watch their work ethic, to watch his work ethic, how he ran his routes, how he ran hard every single route, how he did the extra route running, you know, he was just very dedicated and committed to not taking the reps off. And that, that was a big impact to see. I was like, man, if a guy like that who could take a day off, um, he could take a three days off because he was that good, um, doesn't, you know, it really, I think, impacted um, the group uh, that was ar uh, around him. And I, th I think that, you know, those are the things that build culture on a team. So people can talk about all the bad things that build poor cultures. There's lots of those. Yeah. But, you know, let's let's throw that aside, whether a person's, you know, in the media still or has a good relationship. Let's just remember in that team that 
there's a lot of those things happening that when you piece them together, create a, a great formula of, of success. And Alan um, definitely was, um, you know, a big part of that. And I feel like I could just go down the list of your former teammates, but you've mentioned Jeff Garcia. Did you know he had it to be, to do what he did in the NFL playing with him? Yeah, not at the start. I mean, I think that when you, you know, Jeff came in, he had to battle to get that third string spot. And we were down in um, playing the Sacramento gold miners that the, the year that they had the U S teams. And he got, um, I think he got two drives in the fourth quarter and he was competing against this other guy that actually um, I was having a better camp than him. And so, you know, Jeff went in and, you know, these were, the footballs were quite large. Remember the old CFL balls. I mean, remember like not, you know, having even a chance to throw one of those things was different, but he came in. I remember he threw, I think he threw a touchdown pass and he took advantage of that opportunity. And then boom, he got the third string spot. And then the same when Doug Flutie goes down before Labor Day in 1995, Jeff, uh, you know, suddenly here's a guy that's, you know, no, but still he's second, never played on our field. So people, we walked in the game going, well, I don't know how this is going to go. Well, he throws seven touchdown passes in that game. So it's like, you know, one Jeff's of the great a guy, performances yeah. in CFL history. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's amazing. And for a guy to take advantage of that, really, that had limited experience in the pros and, and then taking over for Flutie, which is like brutally hard to yeah. step into those shoes and like, and do it in a, a bit of a different way. You know, I, I think, you know, if you know the Jeff Garcia story that happened in high school, that happened, those quick moments he made plays happened uh, playing um, University of Stanford when Bill Walsh was coaching, having a great game against them at homecoming, not winning, but Bill Walsh remembering that game when he got it and, and giving him a chance down the Niners uh, to, you know, and then jumping into the NFL. So he's a guy that's like um, people put him down and that's what stands him up. And all these quarterbacks that we had a chance to play with, whether it's Dave Dickinson, Jeff Garcia, Henry Burris, like all of these guys, yes, they were skilled quarterbacks, but they all had very different personalities and different stories. Yeah. And those stories really make them the great quarterbacks they are uh, because really at the end of the day, they all could throw the football, some, some better than others, but they all could throw the football, but it was, there's these little internal stories that made them who they are. And we were very lucky as a receiving core I like to say we made them look good, but it was, you know, the other way around. These guys um, really made us all look great. The fact that there was a quarterback room with Garcia, Dickinson, and Burris is wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's only wild after the fact, you know, True. because yeah. you look at that. And you, and, but during the time, you know, Roy Shivers and Wally Buono were just finding gems. You know, the, these, you know, these are people, you know, that, you know, the NFL did not want. And these are people that even some of the CFL people were like, yeah, I'm not too small or, you know, uh, you know, didn't play at a big enough school or, you know, and they were plucked up. And I think that finding them was, the, was, is really hard. Then the second is putting them in an offense that doesn't change a lot. Like what Huffnagel put in place and he's a mastermind of offense. Uh, people don't give him enough credit. He really created those five and six receiver sets that were not out there, yeah. you know, in the CFL, he created that whole offense. And then what happened is Wally kept that together. And then there was a plug and play of quarterbacks and receivers that, but with the same systems with enough familiarity 
that gave a consistency of high level play and gave us a chance to win championships, even though we didn't hit them all the time, but put us there. And, you know, in 2001, we stole one, right. Um, But enough of the veterans in a similar offense, George Cortez, you know, who worked with Huffnagel and suddenly you you play good for three hours and you, you, you win a great cup at the end. I mean, that's the epitome that that year uh, is the epitome of, of what consistency means in an organization that, um, that can produce, you know, wins. It's amazing. And I can tell you with a much deeper understanding of the game than sort of I do or, or most fans do like appreciate how hard that is even more than we would. You know what I mean? Well, it, yeah. And it's, it's hard because, you know, even knowing the CFL, you don't get paid the money and maybe there's not that pull of big contracts. Like it's still hard to keep teams around. Uh, you know, players want to, you know, in CFL players, you know, may move for another 30 or 40 grand. It's important for their family. Right. Yep. And so, you know, yeah, I think what happens is when you build the momentum of a winning culture, people want to be part of it and they'll do it for less money. I could, I could have left, uh, I remember one year I could have went and played for the Eskimos for more money. Mm-hmm. And it was, I th- I was in my seventh year and it was like, Oh, you know, and, and, you know, we didn't make a ton. So that was important dollars. But I remember just saying to myself, you know what, like, why would I do that? Like, you know, this is a great team. I I'd rather just play for one team and, you know, so I ended up turning it, turning that down and staying with the stamps. And I think that's, you know, that happens in all the leagues, like where good veteran players take, you know, pseudo pay cuts yep. to keep it together. And I think when that happens, then the younger players start to see those behaviors and it creates something special, not a team of stars, but a team that's kind of willing to sacrifice, be humble and give up plays and stats to, to hopefully, you know, get another chance. No, we see it again and again. I mean, we saw it with the Stampeders throughout the 2010s, and we see it with the Bombers now. Guys will will play for less and, and for that chance to win. Um, I t- we're already like eight minutes longer than I told Jean Lafave we were going to go, so I, I I'm going to let you go. But I've oh, got yeah. it. It's all good. You retire with 468 career receptions. You know, over 6,000 yards, 34 touchdowns, two Grey Cup rings. You were an All Star a couple times. 1998 CFL Most Outstanding Canadian. And when you retired, I looked up a CFL article or a, a CBC article, and Alondra Johnson said, you just don't know if you're ever going to get another receiver who can knock guys on their butt like Vince did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's is, uh, like, Yeah. Is that sort of what you <laughs> – did you take pride in knocking guys on their butt? Yeah, well, I, I take – that's a big compliment coming from Alondra Johnson, who I put up there as, you know, the toughest linebacker that's played in the CFL. I mean, that's a guy that um, threw his body like and everything at it. So for to get a guy saying that about uh, me is is really uh, is really great. You know, you know, I tell younger athletes is that when you're at the start of your you know career in sports, you're just trying to be good at everything. You, you know, you're trying to be prototypical. You, you got to be fast. You got to be this. You, you know, and for me, one thing I did realize I wasn't that fast. You know, I didn't have that that speed and even though I worked on it to stretch the field and I knew that part of my strength was my size and then the grittiness to be able to battle push off put my helmet in there catch across the middle so it's when you go to your strengths um, then your uniqueness um, shines authentically when you go away from your strength and you try to be like everyone else you you then you just suddenly you cannot be special I couldn't be Alan Pitts uh, I could not run routes like him. I couldn't be Terry Vaughn. I could, did not have the speed. I couldn't be Mark Borwick. didn't have that Jets. 
Um, but I could be who I am. And, and that was being tough, hitting people, um, even running routes where I get a penalty, but knocking someone on their ass and then catching the ball, get a flag, who cares? <laughs> you know, that's part of what it is. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm ha- you know, with, again, Alondra saying that is, it's a big compliment and uh, something that uh, definitely got to hang your hat on and teaches you the rest of your life, you know, be, be unique to who you are and, um, and, and know your own strengths. That's incredible. An incredible message to end on, man. So um, thank you so much for your time. I, I'm really looking forward to meeting you in person uh, this weekend and, and just kind of getting to celebrate the 98 team. I know a lot of fans here in Calgary are, are really excited about it too. So um, oh, total pleasure. I'm really looking forward to come back to Calgary and seeing everyone, seeing yourself and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. And thanks for taking the time to highlight a special team. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, guys, that is it for us here at Live from the 55 from the Nation Network Studios. Um, I love that episode. Man, Vince Danielson, what a guy. That was so much fun. Uh, Darren Bombing, man, I could talk with that guy about the CFL all day. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you to both of my guests. Thank you to Muggs Pub. Thank you to Fraser and Fig. I don't know. Thanks, everyone. Man, it's the end of summer. I hope you guys are living life, loving life. We'll be talking soon. Lots to talk about coming out of this weekend. Thank you for listening again. Cheers. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.